invite your attention tonight to Hosea chapter 14 and verse 1. O Israel, return to the Lord your God. For you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Take words with you and return to the Lord. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously, for we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Return. Return. We begin our journey through the book of Hosea many, many uh, weeks ago. This uh, is the last of the messages that we'll be looking at in this Old Testament book. I told you when we began that God had worked in Hosea's life so that his message was his life and his life was his message. Uh, put those two things together and put them on display. We saw uh, how that began when Hosea met and married uh, the woman Gomer and uh, that was a disastrous relationship uh, and we saw that play, uh, play out then for uh, those painful, painful chapters as God used him again and again to deliver that message of how Israel had not been faithful to God though God was a faithful husband and he had uh, married her, taken her uh, yet she had been unfaithful to him and then describing the problems and God's corrective messages that need to be taken. We've seen then uh, message after message as God has appealed to Israel through this Old Testament prophet. The promises of judgment abounded. Now we conclude this book with this last message. Return. Return. If Israel will return to God, then there are special promises given. As we saw this morning with the Old Testament prophet Isaiah, we see again tonight, and we see it again and again in all the prophets, that yes, God promised judgment. Yes, uh, God used them. As he said in Hosea, I have hewn thee, he said, by the prophets. I've, I've cut you deeply by the prophets. And yet God also gave them a promise of restoration. If you return to me, you will turn to me. And in fact, there are three very specific promises that God makes to Israel if they would only return to him. I wish tonight I could tell you that at the message of Hosea, a mighty revival broke out in Israel. It didn't. Wish I could tell you tonight that there was a time where the nation repented, much like Nineveh did at the preaching of Jonah. And everybody from the king right on down to the lowest of the people with wearing sackcloth and ashes upon their head and they repented to God and returned to him. Uh, they, they did not. That, that's not the story. And yet here in this message tonight, we have faithful God. And you have to understand that God knew what the outcome was going to be. You do understand that, of course. God knew, and yet still he wrote it down for them. Return to me, and if you do, you'll have these promises. And so these three great promises that God gives to them uh, are uh, contained for us and written down for us and for all those before us and who knows how many generations after us of what happens when God's people return to him.
First of all, we see uh, this message in our text where Hosea is highlighting the power of repentance. The power of repentance. Return to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled, he says, because of your iniquity. Take words with you. Say to him, take away all iniquity. Receive us graciously. But we will offer the sacrifices of our lips. Assyria will not save us. will not ride on horses. Nor will we say any more to the work of our hands. You are our gods. For in you the fatherless finds mercy. Think with me about something tonight. Just a scenario. Imagine you've made a big, big mistake at work. Wherever it is that you work. And a meeting with your boss has been called. And you know that it's probably not going to be pleasant. Would you prepare yourself for that meeting, thinking about ahead of time maybe what you were going to say and how you were going to say it, preparing carefully? Maybe you were supposed to be home all day on Saturday and you'd promised to help your wife with the chores, but somehow or another one of your buddies called and you end up early down at the golf course with one of your buddies. You know when you get home, you're going to have to deal with your wife. Would you plan your words carefully, gentlemen? Would you think out carefully about what you were going to say? I could bring the same scenario to students, maybe, who haven't done their homework, and they're going to have to deal with their teacher, a a, a boyfriend who failed to show up at a date at at a specific time, a a fiance, perhaps, that decided to back out on a wedding. I, I could think of all kinds of scenarios tonight. And all of them would have something in common. Knowing that we've got to deal with something, we would plan carefully, think carefully about what we are going to say. So our question tonight is this. When we mess up and fail God, Knowing then that God knows all about what we've done and why we've done it. Do we give God that same consideration? Do we think carefully about having to deal with God? What we're going to say, how we're going to approach him. We look at this tonight because this passage calls on God's people to return to the Lord. And as Hosea puts it, take words with you. Take words with you. Plan out for what you are going to say. He tells them to say this. We have stumbled because of our iniquity. Now notice carefully the text does not say that we have stumbled into sin. He says that we have stumbled because of our sin. We have stumbled because of our iniquity. We didn't fall into sin. We fell because we had sinned. Every sin, you see, that we ever commit begins with the rejection of God. If we're one of his children and we know him, then we have failed to walk with him. We have failed uh, to remember him we've forgotten him we're not in fellowship with him we've rejected our faith in him that's why the bible says whatsoever is not a faith is sin every act of sin that we ever commit uh, then we stumble 
We stumble. We don't stumble into that sin. We stumble because of it. And in fact, if, if we forget God, if we're not fellowshipping with God or walking with Him, it is inevitable that our faith itself is going to grow weak. You might look at it back at some point in time and say, man, that, that, I, I, know where we messed, I know where I messed up. I messed up. Uh, a lot of times when we start messing up, it's simply a sign that we have allowed our faith to grow weak. Our fellowship with God has suffered. And it's at that point then that we must ask ourselves, am I going to trust God to meet my needs or am I going to just try to press on uh, without Him? Uh, am I going to trust God's Word about what to do and not to do or will I follow my own ideas or my own desires? Will we trust God or trust ourselves? We may be doing fairly well in our walk with the Lord only to find ourselves stumbling. And where sin then has shown up in our life, it has in fact caused us to leave him out. If nothing else, sin robs us of time. One of our most precious commodities. Uh, the psalmist Moses said to us, teach us to number our days that we may apply ourselves unto wisdom. Our, our days are of a limited number. Our hours are limited supply. And if we're going to use our time wisely, then we need to avoid sin. Are we wasting time? Are we wasting time that we could be spending doing something profitable? Maybe having to waste sin not only in the experiencing of it, but also in the cleaning up after it and all the messes that it brings us. When we find ourselves then stumbling because of our sin, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Again, imagine. Uh, imagine there's a nail that's woke, worked its way up through the floor your house and it's right there in the middle of the kitchen right by where you have to walk you find yourself then getting up in the night and all of a sudden you've stumbled and there's a nail you get up the next morning you go walking through the same path you stumble again there's the nail you go back around lunchtime, and there, there it is. You stumble again. You go back to get a second cup of coffee. You, you, you get on it, and you stumble again. Remember, the text says you have stumbled because of your sin. <laughs> Obviously, at some point in time, we need to get a hammer and either pull the thing out or drive it in and get it out of the way. There's corrective action that needs to be taken. We don't need to just keep stumbling over it again and again and again. How often then do we find ourselves turning to the same sin, dealing with the same sin again and again and again? That sin needs to be removed. Unfortunately, removing sin is not something that we're all that good at, but God is. God is. And so he says, when you return to the Lord, then the second thing that he tells us to say is to take away Take away my iniquity. Take away my iniquity. God will remove our sins. He will restore our relationship. And when he does, then he will receive our praise. 
Worship can turn into a one-way activity. We give it, but God doesn't receive it. That's what sin does to us. Makes our worship seem hollow and powerless. And so God calls on us to repent. I don't know if you've ever had that experience, perhaps, when you have told someone you're sorry and they said, what for? What for? Now, that kind of plays out occasionally when you see somebody that's mad at you, but instead of that person doing what the Bible says and coming to you and telling you what they're mad about, they, they just kind of sull up on you. and Well, they're mad. You might go to them saying, well, I'm, I'm sorry. Well, why are you sorry? You're sorry for what? Apologizing without saying what we're sorry for uh, doesn't usually go over very well. So when we are repenting to God, we're bringing that sin to Him and we're calling on Him, God, you take this away, take this away. And He goes right on then to promise exactly what they were talking about. God, we're not going to turn to other nations like Assyria anymore. He, Hosea had, had ripped into them over that. He had hewn them over that, going running to other nations Trusting in their military might to deliver them. God, no more. No more. We're not going to worship idols anymore. We return to the Lord. We acknowledge our sins and ask Him to remove them. He restores our relationship. He receives our praise. And then we repent. But don't miss the order. They returned to the Lord and then they repented. I'll say that again. They returned to the Lord. And then they repented. Return, you see, comes first. Then they repented. So often we want to get that all turned around. Maybe tonight you're struggling in your walk. Maybe you have been for a long time. And you're trying to do something, but you don't trying to clean it up, but it's just not working. Return to God. Return to God. If you know God, if you know Him, if He has saved you, if you've been baptized, you've become a part of one of His churches, you know where you need to be. You know you need the fellowship of God's people. Well, I can't go. I'm too much of a mess. Yes, you can go. We'd receive you. We'll love you. We'll pray with you. Return to God. Return to God. And then repent. There's a marvelous order then in this passage. But not only does he talk to them about the power of repentance, but then also there's the promise of renewal. In verse 4, what a great promise this is. I will heal their backsliding. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. Return to me, and I will heal the backsliding. I will love them freely, for my anger has turned away from him. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall grow like the lily and lengthen his roots like Lebanon. His branches shall spread. His beauty shall be like an olive tree and his fragrance like Lebanon. When we return to God, we find God waiting on us with open arms. I will heal you. I will love you freely. 
Backsliding, you see, is a disease on the soul. There isn't a medicine on the earth that can heal it, but God can. God can. Daily, sometimes hourly, sometimes even moment by moment. It is the presence of God working in us and on us and through us that is the only sure and continuing cure. His free love. Because God removes his anger from us without a trace, then he is free to lavish his love upon us. And he pictures this, the the product of this, in several ways. He compares it to the dew of Israel. And remember, he is talking about his love for us. And he said, my love for you, when you return to me, I will heal you of your backsliding. And I will show you this free love upon you. I will shower, I will move this love upon you. He says, it will be like the dew of Israel. Remember that dew neither falls nor rises. It forms when the atmospheric conditions are right. And one of the things it has to be for dew to form is still. Uh, dew doesn't form when it's windy. It has to be calm. And there when the atmospheric conditions are just right, then dew forms. And the dew of Israel was famous because it wasn't just a a little dusting of water. It left everything drenched. I don't know about you, but I love getting up in the morning and walking across my yard when the dew has just drenched it. I love it. love the coolness that we feel on our feet. And, and it's just a marvelous thing, this dew. There's been some times in my life when I've been out in the, at night and the dew has got on me. It, it's happened. Uh, say, where'd that happen? Well, the most notable experience I've ever had that was in Swan Creek, a little creek uh, just outside of uh, Branson, Missouri. I was out fishing with an old friend one night. We were fishing at night. The water was so clear. If you're going to catch fish, especially walleye, that's what we was after. You had to fish at night. It's the only time you could catch them. Uh, and we'd fished and fished, and all of a sudden, uh, there was a drop come dripping off my hat. Drip, drip. Drip. I looked at my tackle box. I left my tackle box out. My every bait in my tackle box was drenched. I was drenched. My buddy Pete was drenched. It was just covered. The dew, silently, imperceptibly, but yet it had moved. And there I found myself just drenched. Isn't it a marvelous thing, folk, when you just find yourself drenched in the love of God? What a magnificent picture that is slowly imperceptibly yet absolutely God works then so that you're just drenched with his love there may be times when we feel that God is far away from us but God longs for us to return to him so that he can lavish his love upon us he compares that then to the lilies of the field Jesus would speak of these. Why take you thought for raiment? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They toil not, neither do they spin. And yet I say unto you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. These are the lilies of the field. They're not a lily in somebody's flower bed. These are the lilies of the field. I don't know what you would call them. What I would call them was wild flowers, wild flowers. My mother loved wildflowers. 
I've seen many a time where she'd pull over from a, 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 a good uh, speed and going down the highway and get out and dig up those wildflowers and take them home. Uh, now, I don't know what you're thinking. You're thinking you're not supposed to do that. I, well, I, I know that now, but I don't, I don't know if Mama did or not. It certainly didn't stop her. So I can tell you that just because there's something out there, you remember, oh, there's all kinds of them. Those butterfly plants, she couldn't hardly pass by what she called a butterfly plant. And as bad as my mother was, my Aunt Jane was twice as bad. Aunt Jane bring them home. She didn't just plant them in her flower bed. She planted them all over her yard. She had never cut one of them down. She loved those plants that were growing out in the field. You see, these things are, are those plants that just grow. They just grow. They're, they're not tended. Nobody toils for them. They're, they're just grown. God is the one who does it. We might pick them up and bring them home with us, but it doesn't change the fact that they still grow wild everywhere. What a beauty they are. And yet Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 28 that Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Consider the lilies. Consider the lilies, he said, how they grow. So the love and the graciousness of God when we return to him is, is like the lilies, God says. It's something that is beautiful. It, it does not require effort on our part. It is something that God does. He compares his love then and the working of his love to the cedars of Lebanon, very famous. He first speaks of their roots that have to grow deep so that the tree can flourish. But he also speaks not only of the, uh, the roots that are growing deeper, but also of the branches that are growing wider. And we know those two things go together. Uh, I'm not sure about cedars. I tried to look it up and I couldn't find anything about them. But I do know about oaks. I know about oaks and their drip line. You probably do too. That is, when you look up and you see the spreading branches of an oak tree, guess what? Their roots are going the exact same width as, as the branches are, the drip line. And in order, but I do know that whether it's any kind of tree, whatever it is, if it is going to flourish, it has to have roots that go deep and branches that spread wide. And God says that I'm doing both for you. There's strength in, there's stability, there's protect, protection from drought, from adverse situations. The love of God then lavished upon us means that we're protected from both the storms that would topple us over from the droughts then that might come and dry us up. But when we have returned to God and God is lavishing his love on us, we're protected from both sides. He then speaks of their fruitfulness. A sweet smell. A sweet smell. Certainly the smell of cedar was one thing, but God also mentions the vine. And, and we know about how that Sweet smell. When I think of a sweet smell, I usually don't think of cedar, but I'll tell you one sweet smell that I do love to smell, and that's honeysuckle. Any other honeysuckle fans in the house tonight? I, I love to smell the smell of honeysuckle. And regardless, God says, I'll give you a, a sweet fragrance. Second Corinthians, Paul said, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ, 
and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. You see, we're talking about how that the love of God works on us. We are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one we are the aroma of death leading to death. To the other the aroma of life leading to life. And who is sufficient for these things? Sweet smell. Oh, how this world needs to be able to smell the sweet smell of Christ and his love upon all of us. I think about Mary at Bethany. How she lavished her love on Jesus Christ when she broke that alabaster box. I think of the woman in Luke's account. Different story, different time. But who also anointed the feet of Jesus and in her case, washing, washing his feet then with her hair. What you see, when they lavished that love on Jesus Christ, that love then came back on them. Oh, how this world needs to be able to smell the love of God on all of us. The olive tree, lastly. I'll make you like an olive tree. One of the things you'll notice, because they pointed out so much, is there on the Mount of Olives... And in many other places in Israel, there are olive trees that date back to the time of Christ. Hundreds of years old. And yet it's still green, still perfectly shaped. The wood from the olive tree is valuable. It's very ornate and beautiful. It is not a transient beauty. It's an enduring beauty. It's a, it says something when the olive tree is beautiful when it's live. And even after it's dead, it's still beautiful and still can be made into beautiful things. God then gives us enduring beauty. That's what he's saying. When he lavishes his love upon us, he's promising or fulfilling his promise to us. Rather, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3 and verse 11, when he said he has made everything beautiful in its time. In its time. He makes all things beautiful in its time. The effects then of the love of God. So he talks to them about repentance and what repentance does for them. He promises then when he returns, when we return to God, that he will love us freely. He'll heal us of our backsliding and gives us all these beautiful pictures of what he'll do. And lastly, he speaks of revival. Those who dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall be revived like grain and grow like a vine. Their scent shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, what have I to do anymore with idols? I've heard and observed him. I'm like a green cypress tree. Your fruit is found in me. Who is wise? Let him understand these things. Who is prudent? Let him know them. For the ways of the Lord are right. What a great statement that is. The ways of the Lord are right. The righteous walk in them, but transgressors stumble in them. After repentance and renewal comes revival. Revival is that sacred spiritual work of God where his people are transformed into a powerful and fruitful force. 
Again, Hosea continues as God gives him this message to declare these marvelous truths and beautiful images. When revival comes, he says, you'll be like a seed. A seed that appears dead and lifeless. Yet there's an amazing process. We know that process is germination. Where that seemingly dry, dead, lifeless seed can be planted into the earth and covered. It has to be in the darkness, you see, for germination to take place. No wonder God said, those who dwell under his shadow shall return and they'll be revived like grain. When we return to God, God covers us so that he can turn us into a fruit-bearing plant. That's the picture of revival. It doesn't matter how dead our life may feel or, or how uh, uh, dead our faith may feel. It doesn't matter how dead a church may feel. They'll return to God. God can turn it again into a growing, vibrant, healthy plant that produces fruit. And we're covered then by God's presence. And that's the first thing. We are taking that first step of fruitfulness. He refers again to the fragrance. But now he describes it not as a smell of, of cedar or of something else. But the smell of fruit. This is the kind of smell that you would get walking through the grapevines. With so many grapes just heavy and ripe and and the smell of grape sin is in the air. So many clusters of ripe fruit all around. God says then, when you return to me and you experience this revival, I'll make you fruitful. And it won't be just a little bit. It'll be in abundance. This is the kind of revival where we recognize God then as a source of our blessings. We no longer run to the idols because we know that God is blessing us and it's God that makes us to prosper and God makes us to bear fruit when revival comes we'll walk in his presence and power we need this in our lives individually I do you do we need it in our church oh how we need it in our nation tonight We don't need to improve on God's way because God's way is already the right way. We just need to walk in it. God's way. Now let's be careful tonight. Because sometimes when we start thinking of returning to God and walking in the way of God, if we're not real careful, we'll start to thinking about maybe the 1950s. You know, the 1950s were a precious time. I don't remember much about them. I almost missed them. I was born in 1959. I can't imagine it. Maybe it might be thinking about the 1980s, you know, when Ronald Reagan was president. Had to be the best it's ever been, right? No, we're not, we're not looking back, you see, on some idyllic time. Oh, I remember when. I remember when. I came on the scene in ministry in the 70s. And I've told you before, I, I still heard about the great revivals that were going on and still saw pictures. And some of those pictures are still there. And I, 
remember people talking about how great revivals used to be. How great things used to be. And there were some wonderful times to be had. But what we need to do tonight is not to duplicate those days. What we need to do is return to God and walk in God's way. Because God's way will work every bit as much in 2022 as it did in 1952. God's way. Return to God's way. It's God's way that we need to go back to. Oh, but look how messed up our country is today. Well, our country's been messed up before. Revival, people returning to God, had a big impact on this nation in the past. It can again. It can again. Let's talk a little bit about revival. I pulled together some, some quotes tonight of some of God's men in the past who spoke of revival. Stephen Alford, great preacher. Uh, in heaven today, he said revival is an invasion from heaven. I like that. <laughs> revival is an invasion from heaven that brings a conscious awareness of God to a people or to a nation. An invasion from heaven. Robert Coleman spoke of it as a sovereign work of God in which he visits his own people. Restoring and releasing them into the fullness of his blessing. James Stewart called it revival. The, the people of God living in the power of an ungrieved, unquenched Holy Spirit. A true revival, Andrew Murray said, means nothing less than a revolution. Casting out the spirit of worldliness so that God's love triumphs in the heart. Vance Habner, one of my favorites, said revival is simply the church falling in love with Jesus all over again. Brian Edwards said in revival the minds of people are concentrated once more on eternity. I like that too. Revival is a time when God returns his people and re, or when God's people return to him and he restores them and revives them. As a result then of their repentance, of their turning to God, of that revival of spirit in their hearts and minds, as a result, God's people then become a force that changes the world. As God intends. In the absence of that, we live out what we so often see today, where the world changes the churches. But see, God can turn that around so that the churches once again change the world. Return, God says, to me. What a great way to finish up this book. What a great way to finish up this glorious day that we've had today. Maybe there's somebody in this service tonight that needs to return to God. You've been thinking, well, I'm going to repent. I'm going to fix this, fix that, deal with this, and then I'll get back to God. No, switch that around. You're in this service tonight. Maybe tonight is your time when you need to return to God. Maybe the issue tonight for some might not be to return to God. You can't. Return to somewhere you've never been. 
what you may need tonight is simply to go to God. Maybe you've never been to Jesus to receive that free pardon of sin that's available to you because of the cross of Jesus Christ. Where you lived out the simple reality that Jesus paid it all and therefore all to him I owe. That sin had left a crimson stain but he washes white as snow. All that can be yours tonight. The Bible tells us that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whosoever believeth in me, Jesus says, shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That's his promise to you tonight. You understand, you've gone into sin. You've wandered far away from God. But tonight, you're willing to confess that to God. Call upon him. He'll save you if you believe him and trust him.